Ladies and gentlemen, freaks and geeks, welcome to the Crystal Journey Podcast. We're about to do our first Skype session over here. I got James in the house, aka the Violent Vegan. I've been following this guy's stuff for the last year, and he's a funny character. I'm about to call him out right now. Let's see how this goes. Let's do this. Yeah! Boom! James the Violent Vegan. Oh wait, I can... Oh, there you are. Fantastic. I can, I can hear you now. I'm going well, thank you. Yourself? Fantastic, I think. Um, I feel like this this should this camera is a bit high. Um, wait, your camera you or my camera? My forehead. Oh, no. Is, is... I can see your forehead just fine. It looks very good from here. <laughs> it feels very shiny. <laughs> Indeed, very shiny. How does my forehead look? In fact, it's looking I th- good. I think mine's even shiny with my my black forehead. I think it reflects the light even better. <laughs> uh-huh. Awesome, awesome. I feel so new to this Skype thing. I've only done a few of these sessions, and uh, I can't get over the realism. It feels so very. Um, it feels like you're right here, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh-huh. usually I, I've been doing these podcasts for about about three to four years, and I tend to have them face-to-face, so um, this, mm-hmm. is the, this is the first time I've done an actual uh, podcast under the Crystal Journey over Skype, and I've been, I'm curious to see, oh, is that your, that's your wife, how you doing there? Good, how are you? I'm very good, thank you, I love the psychedelic colors. Thanks. <laughs> James, I've been checking out your stuff for about a year now, I'm a big fan of your work, man, you're very watching your videos, man, you, you have a way with, um, with comedy. Like you, you have a way of disseminating this Thanks. information and making it lighthearted so people don't hate you, which I think is really important. You know, I I often think about the phrase, um, "If you want to tell someone the truth, make sure you make them laugh, otherwise it, they'll kill you." That whole thing, and I think you um, you embody that whole thing very well. That whole attitude. I I, I try to walk that line. Uh, yeah, I try to do something. I feel I like a lot of my humor um, gets lost on people that. I usually estimate between like two and ten percent of people get my jokes. Yeah, but the thing about you is you don't need to get the jokes per se. But the, the, your whole personality comes across, man, and that makes you laugh. You know, how there's some people you can just look at and laugh, not not in a bad way or anything, but it, it, they just have yeah. this presence about them, and it makes you smile, man. You, you have that, so uh, kudos, brother. Thanks for the feedback. No problem. Um, so, how long have you been? Um, you, how long have you been doing this whole vegan thing? This uh, this channel of yours. The channel has been, I guess, about two and a half years. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, it used to be a Dungeons and Dragons channel, and before that, it was a channel showcasing my music. Which, uh, if you go back far enough, there's some there's some very bad um, cover versions on there still. Yeah, that's interesting, man. It's interesting hearing about the evolution of people's channels because one thing I've seen a lot, I mean, this is what happened with mine, is I started off doing something completely different. I was interviewing people on weird science and freaking magic, as I like to call it, so anything to do with the paranormal. And then over time, I started getting more into veganism, and eventually that's become one of the main focuses, and I think that's pretty much what's happened to uh, your your channel. Would that be right? It's It's pretty much... I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. Truth be told, I've I've been trying to not so much steer away from veganism, but add more topics which 
are sort of connected with veganism, a bit like the way you do the spirituality, the whole spirituality, eco-consciousness thing. Um, I, just, I just find it a bit creatively stifling to find new things to talk about relating to veganism yeah. without, without, without going into the whole, without going down the route of reaction videos. Mm. Yeah, uh, I feel I, like they're doing that. I hear what you're saying. I've actually been moving more in that direction because whereas um, obviously I'm, I'm into activism, into the whole vegan movement, I have a lot of other interests like yourself. And yeah, you can, you can only talk about something so much, but I guess the problem is that most people want to hear strictly about veganism, and I find the more content you make related to veganism, the more views you get, and I feel as if, even though I want to move, I actually want to move away from that at the moment, I'm more focused on things dealing with spirituality, paranormal, that kind of stuff, uh, I just feel I'm constantly getting dragged into making videos on veganism, because they're the ones that people tend to respond to, so... You're caught in this room yeah. where you, you want to do something, but you end up doing the thing that most people want to view, as opposed to being true to what you want to do. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a bit of a conundrum. It sounds like I've, I've almost considered starting a second channel, but then uh, I, I I don't know. Um, I do things like my other idea is sometimes I do something like a movie review. And often, you know, these movie reviews, they'll get a few thousand views. Like, I, I did a Star Wars review. It got, like, 45,000 views. Damn. And I thought, hmm. Was, it, maybe, was, that maybe, the last one, was that the last one you did? Because I, I checked. Was yeah, that, probably. I, I did it the day the new Star Wars movie came out, which is, I think I think is the key to getting uh, views on movie reviews. Absolutely. Uh, and... I... I had this idea that perhaps I could get people interested in my other content. They find my channel through a movie review, and they say, "Oh, well, what, what's this? Ve He's called Violent Vegan. What's this vegan stuff all about?" Absolutely, that whole approach. Uh, um, I think that's that's really effective. I've actually met a few uh, activists, or both offline and online, and it's interesting to hear about how they discovered the whole vegan, you know, animal rights thing. Because a lot of them were following people like Deering Ryder, and they weren't following these characters because of their vegan content. They were following them because they were interested in something like cycling or interested in martial yeah. arts. And yeah. Because these people are, are using their their art as a way of, I guess, hooking people into the whole vegan movement. Yes. It's, it's been very effective. Like, I've met so many kids that have gone into veganism purely because they found out about Deering Ryder, and then they went on to check out during other videos that weren't related to cycling, they find out about all this animal rights stuff, and they're like, whoa, I love Deering Ryder, and this guy is really into this vegan thing. Maybe I'll check this thing out. I love that whole approach. I think it's one of the most powerful forms of activism because it's indirect. But, I mean, when people like you, I find you tend to have a lot of influence, and you don't have to bring up this stuff and become one of those annoying vegans, one of those yeah. violent vegans, as they say. And the great thing about just doing something you love doing is that if people are influenced by you, they'll probably want to be more like you. Like I find most of the people that I've adopted the certain the same habits of, they've been people that I just love, and I end up getting. So, yeah. The fact that I've seen sure. it happen with so many other activists, um, them getting into this vegan thing because of following um, 
someone they like. That's the kind of part that I want to take. You know what? Um, like Lily over here, she d- she does a stationary channel where she discusses uh, the pros and cons of stationary. <laughs> yeah, I remember hearing you mention and that one time. She, yeah, she gets like she had an email yesterday at, from somebody saying, "Hey, um, I, I know you're vegan because that's the name of her channel, Vegan Organizer." Okay. Uh, can, can you can you send me some links and some tips? And she gets these on a regular basis. Uh, just just by reviewing stationery and having the word vegan in the title, yeah, and the fact the fact that she looks for she mentions that she looks for the vegan stationery sometimes, just small hints like that. Absolutely, that whole clickbait approach is, I think they say, but um, mm. that's definitely the way that I've been going over the last few months. I mean, I've gone through different phases where, I mean, initially I used to be very very quiet about anything to do with animal rights because I found out going through school, going through high school, every time I bring up any of this stuff, um, I just get into really unpleasant arguments. So I kind of just stayed away from it. And ever since the, I guess, veganism took off in the online world and I started kind of seeing a lot of these vegan activists uh, take on, like I just noticed um, just how people are more open towards having these discussions. And yeah. it's become easier to, I guess, get caught up with this whole kind of wave. And over the last few years, I've become a lot more active online. And uh, I found, though, that I just, I, I find I experienced this discord because so much of the content, so much of the, the stuff can really rub people the wrong way. And I not wanted to put on more of a, um, I guess... Yeah, less less direct approach, which I've done by making videos and spirituality and all that other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how have you found? It? Like, do you find you get a lot of people that get frustrated with uh, with your videos? And have you changed your approach over the years? Um, I, I find this is this is what I find. I would do a a quality a quality a quality vegan video, something which I spend you know six or seven hours making, mm-hmm. and my views will kind of. You know, I'll get some good views, gain a lot of subscribers, and then the next day I'll make a video about something completely random. Um, like, like I went to watch Lawrence of Arabia. Okay. I'll do a review of Lawrence of Arabia. My views will go zero, <laughs> and then I'll talk about my adventures in Wales. My views will go zero, <laughs> and then I have to kind of revive them. Um, I yeah. have to kind of do do CPR by making a really good quality vegan video. It's refreshing <laughs> hearing you say that because I, I experience the same thing. Um, I, it comes it comes back to doing what everyone expects you to do and then doing what you love doing. And I, I find I often make videos that I'm interested in, and I get that same response where I don't get the same kind of uh, reaction that that I do when I make the vegan content. And uh, it's something that I feel. Like manifests itself in different areas of my life. Like even with my art, like I'm a musician, and there's stuff that I want to create because these are the topics that I'm interested in. And then they're the kind of songs that you create because people want to hear songs about certain subject matter. And you're you're in this trap where you kind of have to choose between doing what everyone wants or expressing yourself. And I mean, one of my favorite books is called the um, the Art of War, and it talks about this. It's called Hack Mentality where you create things because you're trying to please the audience and express honestly involves creating something which is a natural expression of what lies within and it's always this situation where 
you're trying to find a balance between doing what you want and doing what other people want. And uh, whether whether it's online with my active activism videos or whether or not it's through my music, because have you had the same experience with your music? I mean, you mentioned that you used to to make some music back in the day, right? Are you still doing that? Yeah, yeah, it was as a hobby. Okay. And exactly the sort of stuff I used to play, um, like open mic nights uh, in a local cafe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I had come up with the stuff I'd written myself, you know, there was just like a deadly silence, and people were saying, "Okay, thank you very much." Um, uh, whereas if, if I'd, you know, I, I'd, I'd knock out say a Bob Dylan song, or a Beatles song, or um, uh, I know a TV, I used to do TV TV theme covers. Mm-hmm. Then, then you know, people would sing along. And I'd get a good response, feel good Absolutely. afterwards. Yeah, that's, <laughs> Maybe free. Uh, that's something I think we all have to deal with. Um, most of the artists that I know of, they, they tend to be in that situation where they they want to sing their original songs, but they end up doing covers. And a lot of the times when they get these gigs, they have to do covers because that's what people want to hear. So I think that's just one of the dilemmas in life. You have to define a balance you know, between trying I to... I work at Hampton Market. Okay. Uh it's, it's the biggest market in London still. And so often, the market is, is desperate for people to come who create their own stuff. They, they're trying to make it into an arts and crafts sort of style market. But the problem is the customers have no desire to buy arts and crafts, homemade things. They want to get a, a London souvenir. So, so often, turning up, and, you know, they'll be making handmade cuckoo clocks or kind of wooden sculptures or these amazing paintings or, or, or some kind of, um, uh, what are they called, origami things. And, of course, you know, the problem with, with homemade, handmade art is it's, it, you can't really knock it out for cheap. And not many tourists want to spend, you know, £250 to buy some ornate handcrafted cuckoo clock. Mm-hmm. So these people will sit there for two or three days, sell nothing, uh, go away disheartened, and come back with "I love London" T-shirts or Big Ben T-shirts, and hence the market has will, has always been and will always be will always be just a hive of, of imported junk. I love London T-shirts, little red phone boxes, it, and it's very frustrating for everyone. I'm sure. That's the dilemma. Uh, how long have you been working uh, at the London Markets for? Um, about seven years. Okay. I, I still haven't made a fortune. All right. So, uh, <laughs> so besides the, I guess, working at the London Market, the music, the YouTube channel, what else do you, uh, do you occupy yourself with? I noticed that you're a, you're a big fan of movies. And I think you mentioned earlier, just yesterday, when I was talking to you, that you're into... Eastern philosophy, the I Ching, that kind of stuff. Tell us a bit yeah. more about that. Um, yes, um, I've been into Eastern philosophy ever since I was a teenager, really. I, I started off, I think, like, like a lot of uh, young people, I became interested in the old Hong Kong martial arts movies. You know the old Jackie Chan movies. Absolutely. Oh wait, wait, wait. Let, let's let's uh, let's go through some movies, man. I want to see how deep. What? Um, what yeah. Jackie Chan martial art movies have you seen? Because I've seen I've seen all the old classics, not the 
new ones that everyone's aware of, like all the old ones, like Shaolin Wooden Man, and all the all the old classics. If I can remember them, this is going back a long time. What were your favorite? Yeah, Jackie Chan. Movies? Okay, so this is probably going back um, nearly twenty years. I, I I've probably seen nearly everything he's done, but I, but what stays in my memory? Mm-hmm. Obviously, Drunken Master. Drunken Master. That's Jackie Chan. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, there are a number. Of, I know there are a number of films he did around that time where he always has the same accent. He's like, "Master, why are you hitting me so hard?" <laughs> because you have to learn. <laughs> I used to love um, the fact that he'd fool around. Like he had this very original approach to uh, martial arts. My, my family yeah. used to call it, uh, like uh, I think we used to call it, um, f- "fool around kung fu" or something like that. Like he'd integrate all of this. Stunt work to his martial arts to make it more entertaining. Oh, it's the only one that glorious tend to do that. And 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 there'd always be one of those um, benches lying around. Yeah, you kind of kick benches there and Absolutely. use it. To... That's the that's the kung <laughs> fu principle. Basically, everything can be a weapon. I used to love that. They'd get a, a yeah. wooden spoon and start using it as a weapon. But I exactly, was, <laughs> yeah. That actually plays a, a role in how I got into a lot of stuff because I was obsessed with kung fu movies growing up as a kid, as most most kids are, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and whatnot. And basically, every weekend we'd go through kung fu movies. This is my dad and my brother. Yeah. And just got into the whole mysticism behind martial arts. Like you watch some of these kung fu movies, and they go into uh, mm. chi energy and all this Eastern mysticism, mm. which. I've always been a fan of, and through that I got into, well, I guess, Buddhism, so I've always been involved in the Hindu school of thought, so anything to do with, uh, anything to do with the East, really. In fact, my name is, um, is an Indian name. My dad spent so much time in India that became very influenced by the whole Indian tradition, but I've yes. always had this passion for the East, or at least the Eastern philosophies. Uh, I know that's something you're very much interested in because we, I think we were speaking about the. Well, you mentioned you had a love for Terence McKenna. Is that right? I'm sorry, yeah, uh, you broke up. Sorry, you, you mentioned that you're a, you're a fan of Terence McKenna, and I'm Terence McKenna. Yes. Yeah, I'm yeah. definitely a fan of his work. Have you uh, <laughs> have you had any uh, heroic doses as he speaks about? Um, no, not yet. I, I've been meaning to. Um... <laughs> I've I've watched some tutorials on brew, on brewing some heroic doses, uh, but I and I I know I've sourced all the ingredients. Okay. Uh, but I haven't been brave enough to. I think it's it's what scares me is the combination of um. Uh, there's, there's the alkaline cooking the alkaline powder. Um, I, I read that can be quite a big explosive. Um, okay. So wait, wait a second. I'm not sure if I'm on the right page. So basically, Terence McKenna explains how to create psychedelics because I, I was just thinking along the lines of mushroom, magic mushrooms just taking oh okay I, I, I was thinking about um, DMT oh yeah um, more or less the same thing but you actually brew this stuff like Terence McKenna explains how to create this stuff is that what you're saying um I've whether I learned it from him he, he I think he more just explains you know the effects and so on mm-hmm. but I, I've learned elsewhere um, it's easily available on, online. How to how to brew your own okay. using um, using household ingredients. And have you had um, any, have you had any uh, psychedelic experiences as of yet, or you're a noob like I am? I'm I'm a noob. I mean, I, I've in my youth, but nothing too uh, nothing too remarkable. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same case. I've I've definitely had psychedelic experiences. My 
my entire childhood is full of some crazy, uh, well, I don't know how to explain it, but yeah, definitely some disturbing and also very inspiring experiences, but they haven't been related to psychedelics as far as substances or anything like that, just more along the lines of, um, you know, whether it's lucid dreaming or nightmares or weird out-of-body experiences, that whole line of thought. But uh, uh-huh. yeah. lucid but, dreaming. Yeah, you're a lucid dreamer. Absolutely. I mean, it's not something that um, I I do consciously, but it does happen quite a lot. And yeah, I, I find I find when I'm ever whenever I'm in these states, uh, I'm able to just my creativity is is enhanced. For instance, some of my songs have come through being in these states. It's like you're you're able to tap into the muses, I like to say, and yeah. writing songs. Just it's like you're you're not writing songs. It's like you're you're tapping into something and it's just flowing through you. Like there, there have been times when yeah. I've, I've heard songs and I've trained myself to wake up and record these songs because they're, they're fleeting. You get this song in your head and you have to write it down otherwise it leaves you. And I find whenever yeah. I'm in these states where I'm lucid dreaming, it's so much easier to, to tap into this, um, tap into the muses I like to say. Okay, so, uh, I, I've, I've, I've touched the... Uh, I experimented with lucid dreaming uh, maybe two years ago, and, and I I went through the the track of keeping a dream journal. Okay. Uh, just which I found really built a connection between the dream world and this world. Like I just writing the dreams down, I start to remember a lot more than I would. Um, the, the dreams would kind of solidify, and then and then I did that thing you know, about checking your hands. You know, if okay, and then if you think you might be dreaming, you check your hands. And in the dream, the, the fingers are, are always wrong, which in fact, ha- we started to work because I find out there are there are always too few or too many fingers. Yeah. And then I think this is a, this is a dream. I'm in a dream. And then the part I couldn't master was staying in the dream. Well, that's because I get so excited and absolutely. As soon as you become conscious of the fact that you're dreaming, obviously you're no longer well. You're lucid dreaming. It's harder to uh, to hold on to that. That's the uh, dilemma. I find. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar with the. I wasn't familiar with that particular tactic to uh, um, bringing on lucid dreams, like the the whole thing that you're doing with your with your fingers there. But one one tip that I, I remember learning was that there are certain things that you can do in real life that you can't do when you're dreaming. For instance, I think dimming lights is supposed to be one of them. Uh, ah. Yeah, and there are certain tricks that you can do or at least try to do when you're dreaming and this will give you an indication of whether or not you're dreaming and like a classic example would be uh, whenever you walk you walk through a room and there's a door um, mm-hmm. you ask yourself are you dreaming and so, so it becomes a, a, a force of habit and yeah. you continually do this so that when you're actually dreaming when you do that and you're dreaming and you open a door am I dreaming obviously the moment where you're actually dreaming, you, you, you realize to yourself you're dreaming and you're conscious of the fact that you're doing that and that's lucid dreaming. But I, I just, I found I never really had to use any of those tips. I, um, yeah, more often than not, I I just become conscious and, yeah, I'd run amok, either end up chasing girls or um, I'd get some sword and start having <laughs> battles with, with people. But it, it, it's oh, just... I, yeah. <laughs> but it's always I, interesting, just the... Um, I feel like the creativity is so much more intense when you're lucid dreaming. Like I find I'm able to just tap into the muse and like I can create so many amazing works of art. 
And it's like, as the saying goes, thoughts, feelings, revelations, they're not coming um, from you, but through you. And though they belong... And basically, it's this idea that you're you're a conduit. You're just tapping into something that's expressing itself through you. I feel so much like that when I'm, I'm lucid dreaming. Because whenever I'm creating something, it's never like myself creating it. It's it's coming from something else, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, I, I think that anyway. I, I know people talk about the death of the author theory, mm -hmm. uh, the idea that what the author intended is not actually that important. Um, because, you know, great, great art comes... I think great art... The, the author is, is just like a conduit. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. I love that approach. Um, I've heard... Stephen King speak about something very similar to that. He talks about, he's got this classic book that teaches you how to write, and he talks about the approach which I think he calls the architect as opposed to the gardener, and the architect is the uh -huh. approach where you're thinking about everything, it's all conscious, it's all left brain, as opposed to the gardener, which is more in line with what you were saying, it's as if you're, you're, you're allowing something to work through you. It's not as if you're consciously making an effort. I always find that the best work happens when I'm not consciously doing it. I'm just acting as a as a conduit, and then you come up with shit, and you're like, "Whoa, did that? Did I do that? It's unbelievable." Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's pretty much my whole approach to um, to art, and even videos on YouTube. Like, I find it's so it's so fulfilling when you when you're just spontaneously having a conversation like this, or you're you're just having a you just put the camera on, you have a random um, to spend hours editing. What, what's your process when you when you make a video? Do you tend to plan everything out, or you tend to just go with the flow? I really am trying to just. I'd love to just go with the flow, but mm -hmm. when I do, it's just terrible. Um, long, long pauses, um, huge digressions, <laughs> um, and yeah, I I, I just. I'd like to try and cultivate because, you know, I, I hate editing. Yeah, um, me too. Um, I, I tend to have the same problem, but I really feel, for me personally, whenever I'm watching a conversation on YouTube, I like seeing mm. all the, the nitty-gritty mistakes. The, the problems that a lot of people would actually see as problems, I like because it feels more organic. I remember hearing... a. A bus, they see. Like, I still can't pronounce his name properly. Everyone's always correcting me. A Valisiel, is that is that right? I get it. Yeah. 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 I, I think in one of his latest videos, he's talking about how um, I mean, he made this comparison to his videos on YouTube not being of high quality movie standards. It's just it's organic, and that's basically what adds to the the entertainment value. The fact that it's this rare experience. It's it is an organic um, um, video that you're watching and I actually like that I like watching videos where it's not overly edited and you're just watching all the weird gestures that people do all the all the stuttering it feels like you're actually in the room with someone and even though it's frustrating when you're recording that and having to uh, uh, to live through it because you want everything to be perfect as an artist <laughs> I think it's more enjoyable for people I mean this is my own personal um, thought I, I find a lot of the times it's enjoyable for people that are watching it. At least it's enjoyable for me. Yeah, I I, I think that's definitely. I, I would agree with you. Um, I think the vegan YouTuber was was Carrie McCarpet. Yes, she has and a real knack for it. She's she's unbelievable. That kind of stuff. Though. Uh, yeah. And uh, and then uh, then you and then 
then a Balasiel. Um, who else does it? Uh, I, I suppose I suppose say Harley does it, but yeah. with Harley, 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 it feels a bit different. Um, but I I actually say Harley is the classic example because. Sorry, you you still. Oh, I thought you were. You kind of like yeah, just yeah. pause there, but it's all good. I love the fact that Harley is so spontaneous about everything that he does. It it's like you're you're in there with him when he's. To me, it's not so much about perfect content. I mean, I used to get caught up wanting to be perfect. You know, wanting to enunciate everything, wanting to use the right words. But I just realized that I actually like people that were just caught up in the moment. You know, they'd have things fall down as they were making videos and they'd say stupid things and they'd swear more often. Like, I, I love the fact that Harley swears so much. He's, he's just like, the way that you see him on videos is the way that you see him in real life. He is mm -hmm. um, he's very spontaneous, very down to earth. And really, it's, it's, it's a combination of really doesn't give a fuck and also really genuinely, at least I feel this, and I think most people do too, really genuinely does actually care about what he's doing. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think that's um, that's a powerful combination. Um, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, one thing nobody can disagree with is how Harley is absolutely contagious and compelling. Um, and even, I, I was saying to, I was saying to Eisel, even if, even if you don't agree with like his diet advice or or you're not interested, I think he still acts as a conduit. Like a, 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 he acts as, as an entry level drug. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. And people people later they can say, "Oh, this guy's an idiot. Forget about him." But they they were still drawn there by by him in the first place. Exactly. I'll tell you who do, who does that to the level that is is next level shit. Yeah. Russell Brand. Russell Brand yes. is the personification of the muse, in my opinion. He harnesses that stuff like a light beam. He, he just, he just riffs. He just opens his mouth and he articulates the most divinely inspired rants. And the great thing about him, like I, I actually use him as the as the prototype because the most important thing to to me, I mean, a little like yourself, is you actually he, he he's got such a great energy about him. He doesn't. He uh, one he tr I tr for the most part I think he really um, cares doesn't want to upset people and he um, obviously he's using comedy which is which is powerful in in winning people over but he just has such a great beneficent energy working through him and one of the most compelling videos I've ever seen in ha in him having an interview was the. I think it was called the Paxman interview. Paxman? I can never pronounce his name properly. Oh, Jeremy Paxman. Jeremy yeah. Paxman, yeah. He had this interview where Jeremy was being a douche, like he was really attacking him, really going for it. And Russell mm -hmm. just handled that with supreme um, confidence yeah. and was just so jovial about the whole thing. And to me, yeah. it was the perfect example of how to deal with um, that kind of negativity. I mean, the wrong person could have turned that into an attack and had the whole thing blow up. Like we've seen happen a lot of times on the internet, but because of Russell's really calm and fun energy, it's hard yeah. to hate the guy, even when you disagree. I, I will disagree with a lot of people a lot, but I will be smiling. That's one of the coolest things you can you can do, particularly if you're trying to be um, any kind of uh, influential figure, because I think it it is to some extent important people like you. At least that's my view. Mm -hmm. 
But I'd say, yeah. who would your who would your favorite YouTube figures, activists, or personalities be, and why? Um, who do I listen to? Um, I find uh, uh, people who people who I watch every day, mm-hmm. uh, every single video. You, uh, Eyes on. I'm I'm totally flattered. I. Actually, I'm because I'm here. But go on, sorry. The thing about your content is, like I said before, you're guaranteed uh, a certain level of quality. You're guaranteed uh, an interesting uh, topic and a good amount of just just verbal content. Thanks, brother. Um, Appreciate that. Uh, um, uh, you see, there's a lot of good vegan ch- vegan channels, but. You know, I don't watch videos like where do I get my where do I get my B twelve or yeah. why the dairy why the dairy industry is bad because you know I know these things exactly. No- it's suppressing after a while, isn't it? Like I find, oh, yeah. I have so many vegans on my Facebook because you know what vegans are like. We're we're all we're all part of this big community and we all want to be connected. Therefore, we we add everyone. And before you know it, your entire feed is full of you know death if you know what I mean. And I find that frustrating sometimes. I just want to um. Uh, I, w- I want to count myself away from that, so I try not to be seeing a lot of the depressing videos. And I like watching people that are fun, people that make me laugh. Like, for instance, your channel. And <laughs> anyway, I, I, I went up there. You were talking about your, your favorite YouTuber. Um, obviously, Vegan Gains, I find exceptionally entertaining. Yeah. Um, I Who else? Who else do I like? Uh, I watch... <sighs> I actually watched Joe Rogan, even though um, yeah. even though he has this anti-vegan stance. Oh, I, I love him. You're, you're not gonna uh, you're not gonna find a bigger Joe Rogan. I mean, look, I like to brag about this, but about I think it's been about two years now since I watched um, his. Well, I, I was listening to his podcast, but I did not know a single person that had listened to every. I, I'd actually listened to every single one of Joe Rogan's podcasts, barring one, yeah. barring one. Um, and the end of the Sam Harris podcast, I was just getting pissed off with Sam Harris, but I'd listened to, it was like probably almost 1500 of, 1500 hours of his stuff. I was obsessed with the Joe Rogan experience. So, yeah. um, I, and I, and I still am into his stuff. It's just, you can only listen to so much where until you're God damn it. So you're being a dickhead. You're being disingenuous now. And I, I just, I can't listen to your stuff. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. that's part, that's part of it. Yeah. Um, I I also get frustrated. Um, so sometimes he'll have a really interesting guest, and he'll spend yeah. the whole time, and Joe will just spend the whole time talking about some nonsense <laughs> about like about how he had to fix his computer last night. I like, like that though. <laughs> That's the spontaneity of Joe Rogan. He'll just go off and riffs. You never know what you're going to get, and he's entertaining. He is you, you got to give him that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But he talks too uh, much, like me. He ta- he sometimes goes in these. <laughs> Long rips and everyone's like, Joe hey, Rogan, let your guests talk, goddammit. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, uh. but have you heard of Vegetable Police? Vegetable Police? I've yes. just recently, uh, he's, he's great. <laughs> yeah. He is, um, he's, he is, and I mean this in the nicest way, like, he is such, he's, he's, he's so silly. He's so, he's so ridiculous. It's, um, yeah. I think, such powerful activist because it's it's so hard to to be pissed off at someone like that. It's extremely yeah. hard. I mean, he's he's just a clown. 
He's and, he's got this unique kind of style that's just very dry. Like, absolutely. I I nah, nah, but I'm like, yeah, what he's, he yeah. He's um, a, he's someone I've been watching a lot lot of lately. Um, but as far as um, I mean, activists that um, I I listen to for inspiration along the lines of um, not only disseminating good content as far as you know, facts and health and all that kind of stuff, but I do it in a way that I'm actually in line with, like I resonate with. Um, like I, I'm a big fan of Timothy Sheath. He's one of these people. Yeah, that, yeah I love like Timothy. Yeah, he's just he's just found a way of expressing himself with complete and utter compassion and love, and it's so hard to do that because I, I think one of the difficulties is people that get caught up in the vegan movement. I mean, they say it's all about love and compassion, which it is, but there is a theme running through a lot of the videos of this frustration, of this hate, because of the uh, the people that are condoning a lot of the things that go on in uh, animal agriculture. And it comes through. And sometimes it comes through in bitterness. Sometimes it comes through with harsh remarks towards people when it's not justified. And the the reality is, a lot of the times people want to come out of an experience, like watching a video, feeling inspired. And it's hard to do that when... I mean, that's actually one of the reasons I stopped listening to Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan, for the most part... Look, without a doubt, very entertaining, very funny. But he is... He he, he packs a lot of energy. And when Joe yeah. Rogan gets pissed off, you can really feel it. Um, you know, just completely rip people apart. And I would, mm. I would just leave the podcast just feeling... Like, I, I feel like I'm really sensitive. I feel like I feel everything. And when you listen to someone... Um, that is so frustrated, uh, particularly when he when he's when he doesn't like the information someone's putting across. Yeah, it it can really it can really have an effect on you. But I love the fact that people like Timothy Sheath have found a way of expressing themselves with utter compassion. And to me, that's yeah. what a huge part of this thing is about. Like the whole tradition of Ahimsa is one of nonviolence, but it's also one of compassion. And it's hard doing it when a lot of what you're doing is driven by frustration, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's that's something I felt for. I mean, I, I always felt as a, for for a long time, but then, um, you know, I, I just I haven't been as vocal about it. But ever since I got online, and I guess I saw everyone else being vocal about it, I got caught up in the wave, and it's something that I've had to pull myself back from a little. Like I, I feel it's so easy to get caught up behaving in a particular way when everyone else is doing it and it's something that I've noticed like I've watched the vegan movement transform over the last seven years where it's become this um, you know vegans initially being these hippie you know yeah man we're all about love to this you know Milton you know we want we want to <laughs> you know what I'm saying it's become yeah that particularly with people like vegan games who has this very kind of menacing um, a lot of people say sociopathic attitude yeah. Where he loves animals, but seems to show so much. T- <laughs> I would liken it to to what happened with uh, with heavy metal in the nineties. Um, so when, I remember when I was at school, heavy metal was kind of you know they they would sing about ro- robots, and heavy metal fans were kind of you know the pass the passive geeks in the back back of the classroom. Yeah, at least in this country, and then. Um, I guess towards the end of the 90s, bands like 
um, Rage Against the Machine and Corn and um, uh, like Slipknot. This kind of new metal came out with a, a level of aggression and rage which just hadn't been seen before, which was real. And they weren't singing about robots and wizards. Mm-hmm. You know, they were they were singing about li- literal uh, like kind of revolutionary violence, and it was it just transformed everything. All of a sudden, metal kids, metal clubs were full of, full of people pushing each other violently around, and and people's attitude, you know, in the in the classroom and in universities, metalheads suddenly suddenly became like proud and fierce, uh, just because of this new scene. And I think it was been a kind of mini reflection of that in veganism absolutely, absolutely. yeah it, it's interesting watching how it all starts up as this snowball effect and how it changes over time like I, i've always found that really interesting about movements in general how um they morph and they eventually you know just blow up like that and the vegan movement has been no exception to that i, I it's it's just amazing to having like i feel as if i've been part of this thing for for a long time, and um, it's just interesting just watching over the last you know six seven years just what's happened. I mean, I, I went to the World Vegan Day um, probably a few years back, and uh, I, I got to meet one of the um, the organizers, one of the founders of it. And I actually interviewed him. And he was talking about how when it started. I think this is probably around two thousand and one, two thousand and two. There are only a handful of people, maybe about. Uh, a few dozen people that attended and mm. over the last few years it has become this massive event that they've had to uh, book these massive buildings for they it's it's i think the last um world vegan day i think we broke a record i think we got up to 14,000 people uh coming through and it's just it's just exponentially risen it's kind of like a lot of pretty much everything that's going on at the moment whether it's technology whether it's um, people's awareness because of the internet. Um, I, I'm also a big fan of the Zeitgeist movement, which I must follow yeah. for a long time. Mo- uh, most of my friends, they're, they're members of this, uh, this group. They're, uh, a couple of my friends are the... Uh, I mean, there are all these chapters around different parts of the world, and one of yeah. my cl- close friends um, was the leader of the Melbourne chapter, and it's just interesting watch... Well, it's kind of slowed down lately, but it was interesting watching this rise of the Zeitgeist. Mm-hmm movement um it's kind of tied in with the occupy movement as well but it's ever since i'd probably say 2001 september 11 like there has been this expansion of consciousness people's understanding of a whole bunch of different things whether it's uh what goes on in the world of politics what goes on mm-hmm. with technology what goes on in health and all this yeah. hippie stuff all this esoteric stuff which i was brought up being obsessed with i was the weird guy that was always speaking about conspiracies, that was always interested in um, theosophy, you know, mystery schools and all that kind of stuff. All of this knowledge about health and science, all the esoteric stuff has been coming into the masses. And uh, it's just been exploding over the last few years. And I think it's finally coalescing into this just massive explosion at the moment where I think eventually, um, yeah, we're going to see a massive shift in consciousness. It's a paradigm shift. I think a lot of people in the hippie movement like to speak about. I think it's uh, it's definitely happening. Yeah, I think Terence McKenna talked about this, didn't he? Um, yeah, but he goes into all of these um, woo-woo areas and it, and is able to <clears throat> explain them within the realms of science. For instance, uh, he he has this book um, about the sixth sense. I think it's called um, 
something to do with dogs, like the the ability of dogs to know when their owners are coming home. He's written this amazing book that outlines the the science as to how dogs have this sixth sense ability. But he's yeah. he's he's absolutely brilliant. I actually put him on the same level as Terence McKenna. And uh, then there is um, Abraham's. I, I forget his full name, but I, I I mentioned these three because they're part of something called the Trilogues. I mentioned that to you yesterday. Yeah. Uh, th this whole series they did where these three guys they just this is kind of what inspired my podcast actually. Like uh, these people, they just came, came together. They just had conversations and they recorded this in one of their studios. And I love the idea of having organic conversations and just allowing these rants just to emerge. In fact, the, the first time I, I did my podcast was by accident. Um, there, one of them, there's this guy that's got this channel called Rap News. He's actually pretty prolific on the internet. His name's uh, Hugo, but he goes by, um, uh, he goes by, he's got this thing called Rap News, impersonates a whole bunch of people, speaks about conspiracies, speaks about metaphysics, a whole bunch of cool stuff, and it is absolutely phenomenal. If you haven't checked it out, be sure to do so. I'm going to put some links Rap down news. here. But yeah. uh, before we started that whole Rap News channel, uh, one of my friends, he was like probably one of the most conscious dudes I'd ever met. Um, like he was one of the few people I met in Melbourne that was I could speak to about this kind of stuff. You know, I'd start speaking about, you know, metaphysics, about chakras, anything to do with, you know, consciousness, animal rights. And he just go on these long rants and I'd, be, I'd have my mind. Hugo along to my house one time. And uh, I just got in this new camera. And the thing is, I, I didn't know how to use it. And as we were having this conversation outside, I had no idea it was recording. So we're having this amazing conversation. Hugo's talking about uh, ancient mystery schools, talking about Aristotle or something like that, and just dropping knowledge. And I, I'm, I'm just, I just got my, you know, my, my hands, you know, over my face, just in complete awe. And uh, Damien's, you know, going off on these rants. And it was, it's like, it was like I was... Uh, you know, amongst Terence McKenna and uh, and Rupert Sheldrake, and it turned out that I recorded 45 minutes of this conversation we were having accidentally. And a few days later, when I realized this, I was like, "No way!" And I played it back to myself, and I'm, I'm like, "This is this is really entertaining. Like, I would pay money uh. to download this stuff." And uh, I thought of having my own podcast where I'd have these informal conversations like that. So that's pretty much where my pod podcast. Um, originated from just the idea of having informal conversations and uh yeah there's something really inspiring about just listening to a bunch of people that feel comfortable enough just to you know just have a conversational jujitsu as i like to call it and just uh just speak about debate about things without feeling as if they need to articulate themselves in any particular way just a free-flowing conversation that's why I'm a big fan of the Joe Rogan experience. That's pretty much that whole setting where the guys are stoned most of the time. So yeah. I have a question. Sure. Have you ever read Finnegan's Wake? Is this a fiction book? Fiction book by James Joyce. That would explain it. I, I haven't read a fiction book for the last 10 years, man. <laughs> but um, what's, it, what's it about? I got into this book because of Terence McKenna, actually. Okay. Uh, um, I... Bear? I was going to ask Lily to bring you a copy. Um, um, okay, so James Joyce, he wrote this book. It, it came out in, I think, 1930-something. Mm -hmm. People have been waiting years 
you know, he, he wrote Ulysses and, and the Dubliners. People have been waiting years. It took him over a decade to write this book. And the whole book is essentially gobbledygook. It no. makes no sense. It's, it's not in English. It's not in any language. It's like 500 pages of nonsense. And What kind of nonsense? Is he actually forming coherent sentences or is, is this no. gibberish? There's not, there's not even one coherent sentence in the entire book. It's a mixture of various world languages, living and dead. It's a mixture of sentences jumbled um, together. And no, nobody to this day knows what you're supposed to, how you're supposed to read it. And so Terence McKenna d tackled it. And he basically found, he, he found, I want to say the meaning of the universe. He saw it as a condensation of the universe. He saw, he saw it as the universe crumpled up and put into one book. And you, if you unpack this book, you can find all sorts of metaphysical secrets. Um, and I, I've been working on it for about five years now. I've, I, I still haven't finished it. I've read, about, I've read about three quarters. The key is not to try and re read it from beginning to end. Um, because also the book, the last sentence of the book, sentence, continues... It, it begins again on the first page, so I, I, thoroughly, I thoroughly recommend um, I'm, checking I'm it out. I'm massively fascinated now. So, when you're deciphering this thing, are you doing this logically? You're 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 somehow breaking this down on a logical uh, well level, or is it is it something How do you go about understanding this? Well, thing? that's an interesting one. Uh, do you know Do you know Joseph Campbell? Of course. Familiar with well, it was also one of Joseph Campbell's favorite books. And he developed his archetype theory from from reading this. Um, he's written a lot on it. And he, Joseph Campbell believes that you need to sit down and un unpack because there's a whole there's a whole um, library of kind of exegesis works that you can get. So his idea is that you sit down with Finnegan's Wake and a stack of books, and of course now you'd, you'd have the internet ready. Yeah. <laughs> and go through it sentence by sentence and try and. Work out because there are multiple interpretations for every single section, mm -hmm. and you try and work out what it means, what it means to you, and it's still possible to make original. I'm pretty sure I've made original discoveries, um, depending on, and it, it will appeal to you depending on. For example, I'm, I'm interested in cricket. There are cricket references which yeah. I've spotted. It sounds <laughs> very. It sounds like a divination uh, art form or something like that. Like there is this subjective. Um, Interpretation that every person is getting from reading Finnegan. What's yes, it, 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 it is absolutely like my wife uh, Lily. She's a, she's a Hebrew teacher. Um, she teaches bib biblical Hebrew, oh, and yeah. she notices biblical Hebrew kind of references which aren't documented anywhere. Um, so it. Um, however, I was going to say other people swear that mm. you should put a, put aside the um, the explanations and just try and read it. And let it speak to you, but um, but that's that can be very tiring. I've tried that method as well. Okay, <laughs> your eyes start your eyes start to water after a while. Because that would be my approach. Just um, rather than trying to understand things with your head, just let it speak to you. You know, try to see it with yeah. your heart. And that's the kind of thing most skeptics would hear and think you seriously belong in some kind of like dance. Because uh, I mean, this yeah. is this is pretty much how I look at art. Um, when you're trying to, well, as far as creating work goes, mm -hmm. um, when I'm, whenever I'm writing songs, 
a lot of the lyrics I use don't necessarily make sense. Um, but yeah. I love the idea of how words can speak to your heart. There's this um, symbolic nature of words, and it doesn't have to be grammatically correct. When you're one of my favorite artists, Jason Mraz, you have a look at how he writes his songs, and the lyrics are very um, spontaneous. You know, he'll he'll sing songs that don't make any sense logically, like uh, the rainbows warped into infinite colors of uh, of green and morphed beside my heart like it doesn't it doesn't make any sense but you hear the words yeah, but that, and that paints an, an emotional picture absolutely they paint an emotional picture and i love the idea of of writing songs from that perspective and i'm thinking about uh that book finnegan's <laughs> finnegan's book like i i have this feeling that you probably have to uh apply the same kind of attitude when you were reading that if you want to yeah understand. um absolutely i i know Apparently, James Joyce was—he was, he was uh, so upset because um, critics wrote it off as uh, something too highbrow for the regular person to understand. Mm -hmm. But he always denied this and said it was—it was for everybody. Um, but it, even you know, even reading one page is is a struggle. Um, maybe perhaps this should be a topic for a video. Um, I think so, man. You've actually got me really curious. Now. You'll have to send me a link to it. But you know what? I think we, we've gone... We were supposed to do this for about five minutes. We've gone into about half an hour, which is perfect. What I'm going to do is I'm going to check this uh, check this video, this uh, s Skype session we've done. And I mean, if you're, if, you're, if you're happy with it, it might be worth uploading onto... I don't know. We'll see. But um, this is the first... Crucial Journey podcast Skype Skype session I've done, and I thought it'd be great to uh, just do a test trial run, but it turned out yeah. to a, a really entertaining conversation, as I'd expect nothing less from the violent vegan. But uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And oh, what, what, what's your your wife's name? Is that Bear? Your wife's My name. My wife's name. Lily. Yeah. Hello, how are you doing there? What was your name? Sorry. Lily. 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 Yeah, like the flower. How you doing, Lily? <laughs> I, I've got a quick, I've, I've got a quick question before we go. Sure thing. So your username, TK. Yeah, it confuses a lot of people. I I I, I, the, I remember it was the the crucial J, TK JT. Yeah, it's it was the, the final the v, T. I couldn't work out. Well, the V is actually just supposed to you know it's the it's the symbol everyone uses for vegan, but it's TK TV okay. as in. Television. That's just something. TV. Yeah. Uh, no one uh, gets it. Everyone always refers to it as TKJT, and I'm like, ah, oh, whatever. I don't really care about the name that much anyway. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, uh, it's the Crucial Journey, and Crucial is is my artist name. It's what I go by. And initially, I mean, the, the reason I changed it was I kind of wanted to separate my music from all this um, yeah. very fairy stuff I do. That's why I changed the the name of it. But. Um, oh my yeah. God! Your music, man. I, I, you know, I, I know lots of people who sing, and people, I don't know, maybe it's because I associate in liberal circles, but, you know, people are often showing me their music, and I kind of nod, and, and, and I always think, mm, it's okay, but it sounds like them, you know, it just sounds like this person I know singing, but I, I heard, like, um, a couple of your songs uh, through the Facebook links, couldn't believe it, man. Thanks, man. I, I, I was like, wow, this is like, oh. I really appreciate that, man, that this very nice of you to say. I appreciate that a lot. I'm I'm really curious to hear uh, your stuff now, man. Um, I know you've done some some music yeah. in the past, and there's this other creative side to you. 
Um, I'm, I'm curious to explore that. You'll have to send me some links. But, James, it's yeah, been a pleasure. I, I, would get, I wouldn't get, get, get too excited about my stuff. Yeah, but um, I, I'd love to do another one of these things with you. Make it all, you know, uh, professional and, like, go into... Um, like, uh, there's a lot of stuff I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on... I know you did a podcast with Eisel not long ago, and you yeah. covered some really yeah. interesting topics there, and I, I really wanted to get your perspectives on, on that stuff. But uh, for now, man, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out, man. You're a scholar, you're a gentleman, you're hilarious, and I appreciate the fuck out of you, man. <laughs> exactly <laughs> the same as you. Fuck out you, man. All right. Cheers, man. Um, cheers, man. Peace out. Keep it real. I'll, uh, I'll speak to you soon, man. Catch Have you. a good day. We'll do. Bye. Catch Lily. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. That is my first Skype session with James, the Violent Vegan. Uh, be sure to uh, give us a thumbs up if you enjoy this. Thumbs down if you didn't. Drop us some comments below. And uh, as per usual, keep making those ethical gains and illuminate your mind with wisdom, strengthen your will with love, and purge all negative thought patterns from your existence. Signing out, Chris Shul. Life's purpose is to feel joy Metaphysical, lyrical, standing up for truth The only one to make change is walking in your shoes Be the example, don't complain about the news Making music and serving the world with the loo Now you can be the same, or you can be the change Find strength from inside, break through the chains No one to blame, nothing to prove You create your reality, it's up to you